this week on Dig Me Out. Do you want to be a polyester bride? Do you want to hang your head and die? Do you want to find alligator cowboy boots they just put on sale? Do you want to flap your wings and fly away from here? With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com. Jay, yep. it's it's the time again. What do you got? What do you where, got? Where we review a record. I, we do this occasionally. We review from the record, 90s? From the 90s. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, cool I idea. Hope, I hope you're up for it. Let's give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. Okay. We didn't pick it, though. As per the uh, the community who supports us, one of the folks who have, who have supported us for the last 12 months, any, any 12 months before that and, and so and such, uh, he picked this record, and therefore he shall share that record with uh, us and the audience as to what he picked and why he picked it. Joining us... From previous episodes, you might know him, Sparkle Horse, and the Side Projects of the 90s episode, Roundtable, from two episodes from last year. Welcome back, Mr. Jim Lazowski. Welcome back, Jim. Oh, man. It's so great to be back, actually. Well, I'm I'm very pro-union, and uh, I'm pro-white chocolate and space and eggs. So (laughs) Perfect. Those are all good things. I mean, who's not for all of those things? Yeah. Well, I think I think I'm more of a dark chocolate guy. I mean, everybody says that's the best kind anyway for you, but uh, I, I can get I can get find some white chocolate if it's mixed with stuff. I, I'm gonna be honest. I don't get people who get fussy about the type of chocolate. Mm. Fun yeah. fact: white chocolate isn't chocolate. Uh oh. Mm. What is it? It's just candy. Why isn't it? Oh, because it doesn't have cocoa in it. Correct. Got it. Um, Interesting. It's a a coating that you can use, you know, for toppings and dipping things. What the hell is? uh, That's a very good point. What What is then the flavor? Like, if it's not cocoa, where is it getting the flavor from? It's just sugar and vanilla, probably. Yeah, I imagine so. (laughs) So, welcome to the Dig Me Out (laughs) Cooking uh, Cooking Podcast. We're going to be making uh, white chocolate space eggs on this episode in honor of Liz Fair, who, if you didn't know by now, that's the album. It's true. Yes. Can you tell us why you picked why you picked this record, Jim? Well, Liz Fair is one of my very favorite songwriters. And, well, I mean, everybody can attest that Exile in Guyville was a game changer at the time and kind of a life-changing record for me. Uh, it, was, it was around this time I heard Nirvana, Liz Fair... And uh, sweet, and all three of them were essentially responsible for turning me into the music freak that I am today, as well as a musician. And uh, as I was mentioning before we recorded, I actually met Liz Fair at South by Southwest outside of Starbucks. And when I told her that her music made me want to write my own music, she gave me a hug. And I'm shocked I didn't pass out from that, <laughs> from that experience. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I've, I've, I've been, a, I've been a fanboy uh, of hers up until a point, which I think a lot of 
folks out there might agree. I mean, we'll get to that, I'm sure, later on. But I I think her first three albums are, are really great. And this one is kind of like a, a buffet of all her strengths. I, I, I was a fan at the time of like records, especially when they changed their sound quite a bit. I mean, maybe... Yeah, this was post melancholy. Uh, oh yeah, by the Pumpkins, and I kind of liked. I like it when records just like you know kind of change things up song to song. I mean, you know, this is kind of some of her first foray into like you know different types of production, including synth pop here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think the production stepped things up, and you know, a song like Polyester Bride. I mean, that's just one of the it's such a runaway hit and i'm surprised it didn't become even bigger with that with that chorus alone um but i I mean this was around the time of lilith fair and people like alanis morissette and you had britney spears emerged this year and that uh, incredible incredible solo debut from lauren hill so there was just a lot emerging and changing around this time to where i think maybe this record got lost in the shuffle a little bit would you say Based on the album sales, I would say so, because uh, it didn't even crack. Uh, as of July 2010, it's under 300,000 copies uh, sold. Mm. So uh, just for the folks out there, some details. This was released in August of 1998. So it's a 21-year-old record. Just just got its drinking you know, capabilities. Uh, released on uh, Matador and Capital. Uh, produced at th- uh, three different producers: Brad Wood, who's a longtime producer with List Fair, Scott Litt, and Jason Chasco. Um, you mentioned it there. Polyester Bride was a single, and Johnny Feelgood was the second single released from this record. Um, there's a lot of outtakes. There's like a whole album of outtakes that have been released on B sides and movie soundtracks, all during the. They were recorded during the sessions, and this is a long record to begin with. There's a a lot of guest players. Mike Mills from REM plays bass. Scott McConney, I think that's how you say his name, or Kahi from the Minus Five plays guitar. Nathan December, the <laughs> the guy who plays guitar for everybody, um, he played guitar. <laughs> Peter Buck plays guitar. Bill Barry plays bongo. So basically, you got three fourths of uh, REM playing on this record. Leroy Bach. Plays bass on this record. Yeah. So, and there's there's other people whose names probably are lesser known, but a guy like Tom Lord Algy uh, was involved with mixing the record. So there's a lot of heavy hitters that were involved in the making and and the mixing and creating of this record. Jay, did you, are, are you familiar with? I, I know you're probably familiar with the singles from the first couple records. Um, did you get this record, or were you interested in Liz Fair? Were you buying her records in the '90s at all? Just the—I mean, I'm just familiar with the singles. I wasn't a fan or, or buying the records, really. Okay, yeah, I, so was, I had never heard this. I was similar. I had actually not heard her until the Supernova video, and then I went backwards and listened to Exile and Guyville. And then when this came out, I actually did buy it on CD at the time. Uh, I think it was. I think this might have been a Best Buy purchase. This might have been around the time when you could get oh, like yeah. those, you know, those like seven ninety nine yeah. or eight ninety nine Best Buy purchases. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the same for me. 
Um, oh yeah. So we did get some comments from our Patreon folks. One from uh, from before this episode uh, started recording. That's from Frank Garcia Hall. He said, such an underrated album. While there weren't many radio-friendly hits on there, this album saw her songwriting chops mature. It's a shame the follow-up went the pop Matrix direction. Matrix in quotes. I remember being excited about seeing her open for the Flaming Lips in Dallas at the Granada Theater in 2003. But as soon as she walked out with the Britney mic, I started singing and started singing songs from that self-titled album. I was so disappointed. Those first three albums are so good. Didn't check out somebody's miracle or fun style, but maybe I should. From this album, Mm. Polyester Bride got some decent rotation on 120 minutes when it came out. I hated that they edited out the second. You're lucky to even know me part in the song in the video single edit. Those are the best parts of the song. What makes you happy and ride our personal favorites. And then Jason Pan commented. Hello, Jason on our live uh post wcse was my gateway to list fair was too young to hear guyville or whip smart in their heyday but a friend really got into polyester bride playing on triple j here in australia she got me into the song and i went out and bought this album as my introduction to miss fair loved it which got me into her back catalog and the amazing first two albums in particular that are very special to me wcse is a bit more hit and miss uh, but it's still plenty of good stuff outside of the two amazing singles, Polyester Bride and Johnny Feel Good. I was confused for a second because we said WCSC. I was like, is that a radio station? I'm like, oh, no, that's an abbreviation for White Chocolate Space Egg. <laughs> so, yeah. So those are our comments from Patreon, which we mentioned, patreon.com. Dig me out, Union. Let's get into this record. Jay... Tell me one thing you liked about White Chocolate Space Egg by Liz Fair. Well, I think what's uh, works about her that and works on this record is um, there's a like a rawness or a, almost um, just innocence, I guess, to the way that she writes. That when produced well, you get this cool combination of feeling inspired and and, you, and it feels unique, but it's still very pop oriented. Um, so I think when the for me, when the record works well, those two things are are evenly balanced out. You get her personality, some quirky lyrics, and very like kind of honest and narrative um, kind of approach to to lyric writing. You have some really genuine, you know, great choruses. The verses are usually a little bit more unique in that you know they're maybe not always like a traditional kind of like pop oriented verse. So I think when the album works, those those things are are well balanced. You hear her as a person, her uniqueness, but then you get a, you know, really well produced uh, alternative rock or pop rock record with, you know, great guitar playing and, you know, really solid drums. Um, even some experimentation on some songs with some layering that's pretty cool. Different organs and keyboards um, to to some good harmonies as well here and there um so to me when all those things come together i think you get you know a pop record that is unique he's got an ex-wife in pasadena and sometimes she's a mess to deal with but mostly we've been living here uninjured there's a silence and she
I think the thing that I like about this, and it, it just in general, what I like about this fair is just her worldview, her lyrical choices, her phrasings, her unique approach to writing lyrics and assembling verses and choruses. There's not a lot of comparison. It's weird because when I think about contemporaries, I don't think about female singers in the 90s. I think about like Stephen Malcolmus from Pavement or, you know, these these sort of wry uh, observationalists that have a very sharp and deliberate a voice with what they say and, and how they say it. And, you know, there's not like a lot of metaphors and allegory going on. It's very upfront with what she's trying to say. And yeah. I, you know, I appreciated that going back and listening to exile and guyville. Obviously that's a extremely like raw record. Um, obviously the production is wildly different on that record, which is totally fine. But it, I mean, that it, it shows up on, on the second record too, whip smart. Uh, so to hear it here and then applied to what is a much denser production, it in spots, it works really well when, you know, we mentioned all those players who are involved with this record. When she gets to collaborate and build these songs, like the opening track, white chocolate space egg, which I'm, is that the drum loop from, uh, traveling Riverside Blues because if it's not it sounds like it Orange and blue Green and pink I see you in everything Don't need money Don't need wine I've got better really cool to hear her get to play with whether it's peter buck on guitar or, or scott mccani uh doing all these cool guitar licks across a, a bunch of different songs it just elevates her like jay you mentioned about like uh, the harmonies and stuff when she really nails a chorus with a doubled vocal track it, it does something because of the way that her vocal sits because it's a deeper vocal that it just sounds cooler there's a there's just a coolness to her vocal delivery that you know a lot of people can't pull off male or female to in the 90s. So I think that's that's the thing that worked the best for me was just hearing her sing and mature I think on this record. There was a lot of stuff about motherhood and marriage and it wasn't about being sort of a a 20 something trying to figure it out. It was like moving into the next phase of her life. And that was interesting to hear as a, an evolving songwriter to hear that aspect of what she was doing on this record. So Jim, yeah, what it was less, what works for yeah, you? It was less, well, it was less for this record. It was less of kind of a, a satire maybe of, you know, the way men perceive women on something like Exile and Guyville. Like she's clearly making commentary all while being 
you know, confessional, almost like diary entries at times when you're, you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I should be, you know, knowing this about her. But at the same time, I think she was sort of sending that up and sort of uh, playing with the preconceived notions of, you know, this is what you think of me and this is what I am. And sort of like interspersing those two ideas with, with her first record. And then uh, with Whip Smart, it was a little bit, it was it's like a kind of a marriage between Exile and Guyville and this one. This one, yeah, like you're saying, it's really, um, it's, yeah, mature, I would say, is a good word for it uh, because she is, you know, she just uh, became a mother around this time, uh, you know, and was collaborating with a lot of different songwriters and musicians, but also, uh, experiencing married life and going through, uh, not necessarily just going through the motions, but sort of uh, learning how to uh, adapt to that after, you know, <laughs> being being a quote unquote rock star, an indie rock star. I just think her singing is really strong. She she does this cool thing like on a song like "Go On Ahead" and 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 uh, I think "Headache," where she like dips really low to where. It almost sounds like it's off key, but it sounds cool. It's just, just you know, when you sleep, like she gets really like she hits a note that's possibly out of her range, but it still works in this kind of really cool and interesting way. And a lot, all the choruses here are really strong. I just think a lot of the songs here kind of stick in your head uh, more than even some of her other records. And I, I really like Johnny Feelgood. I think. That's kind of an example. That song probably could have been on Exile. It's kind of dark. <laughs> it's very dark because it's about an abusive relationship, but it's got this sing-along melody going on to it. And, you know, that's kind of exemplary work from her. Uh, but I really like just the stripped-down, simple and lovely ballads that I think she does really well, like with Go On Ahead and, and Perfect World, which, I mean, that's one of her best songs. Uh, I, I just think that the um, orchestration behind her acoustic guitar in that song, and this the uh, you know the the delivery of "I want to be cool, calm, and vulnerable and luscious," or "I want to be cool, tall, vulnerable, and luscious." All, all that's just just really special. I, I think she's really good at doing stripped down songs to where. When I've seen her live, I actually prefer her without a band. I think she does really well in almost like kind of a, you know, a Jeff Buckley way where she just has her and an electric guitar. I think she, she really nails her confessional live performance style. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, like, I do say that this record's a little bit long and maybe one or two songs could have been trimmed out. But for the most part, I, I just think that this is a, a really great example of the kind of songwriting that she does and does really well. I agree with you on the length. I also think that it's a bit overproduced for her. Like you mentioned, like some of the best stuff is just with her and a guitar and just kind of taking it into a very, a place that where she can kind of dip in and out of whether she's in tune or not and stuff like that. And I feel like mm -hmm. some of these songs are so producer driven and so he's like, driven by multiple layers of drum machines and a whole bunch of stuff going on. And it makes her sound like distant. Like she's not really a part of the song. Like she just put her vocal on top of a guitar and bass and drum loop or part that 
I don't necessarily think works to her strength as a vocalist and as a songwriter. You know, like Johnny Feelgood, I like that song, but like there's just parts of it where it gets amped up and it just sounds really almost like you could tell where she was going to go on the next record and do a very pop record. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, obviously there was a lot of backlash regarding that record and I don't want her to just do the same thing every record. And I see the evolution, like whip smart is halfway to between Guyville and, and this in terms of production and in terms of the quality of the sounds and what have you. And you can't keep making Exile on Guyville over and over again in the same way that, like, you know, Bob Pollard will make the same sounding Guided by Voices record and just write 30 new songs every time. And there was just times where it just sounded way too polished and, like, too much was going on. I don't know if you had that same issue, Jay, or if you were happy with the production or not, but I just, I found myself tuning out, like, almost halfway through the record every time in some ways i liked it some ways i didn't so i don't like the quieter stuff and they get into like the bongos or whatever's going on like the percussion stuff that feels like not appropriate for this kind of music and there's at least two maybe three songs where they do that (laughs) um i do like something like white chocolate space egg where it's a little like trippy it almost sounds like failure to me oh yeah i can see that that's a psychedelic a yeah. Bit, yeah, I dig that extra production. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like some of the performance-oriented stuff, some of the guitar playing, you know, layers and leads and whatnot. I like the, like, Baby Got Going. I think that's a fun little detour on the record. You know, it has a particular almost 60s kind of Nancy Sinatra or Elvis kind of vibe to it with the organ line and whatnot. Sometimes I think it works. I, I think there's other times where uh, some of the some of the songs I think are probably better, just drier and a little more straightforward. I would be curious to hear the demos. I know that they've re-released some of the other records with a much exp- like I think Guyville got a massive reissue with a whole bunch of extra stuff. I'd be curious what this sounds like in in different mixes and in different uh, iterations. Cause I just, I found myself, I would get to say uncle Alvarez and then I would just sort of be like, is this, are we done yet? Like this feels like a long record and it's really not. It's, I mean, it's 50 minutes or just over 50 minutes, but it felt like because there was so much going on in a lot of the production, it was just getting a little weary for me. And there's, I mean, there's, are, there are songs that I like on the back half, but just seem to take forever to get to them. I'm not sure I like the the way that the songs are structured or, or which songs that they, in terms of structure, in terms of track list, but where they placed them. Like, What Makes You Happy should be farther up the record to me. And I like Ride, too, and I feel like those are stronger songs, and they're like 12 and 13. It's like, by that point, I'm ready to check out. Yeah. Where are you at on the song like, uh, so Uncle 
Uncle Alvarez is a good example to me where it gets into like congas and weird instruments and like I'm not sure what a song like that's doing on the record and there's a couple like that in that Uncle Alvarez, Uncle uh, Only Son, Go On Ahead. Like there's a span there where there's some songs that are buried and I'm not sure if that section of the record is very strong. I don't like I you mentioned Uncle Alvarez and Only Son. I would cut both those songs to be honest. Yeah. Only Son is over five minutes long. It's a dirge. Yeah, like, that's I would agree with Only Son. I think that could have been clipped out. And I think I like Uncle Alvarez just because like she's inventing characters like Henry the Bartender <laughs> and Eugene Isaac Alvarez. I don't know. I think I, I find that song a little charming and just her storytelling within that. And you got Leroy Box bass. Like, I, you know, that's a nice touch. And, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily one of her strongest songs overall, but it's, 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 it's catchy enough. And I, I, I find it pleasant, but I think only son. Yeah. With it being five minutes long and kind of at the same tempo the entire time, it really doesn't add much to the record overall. And I, th- I, I think that I don't, I don't know if it was like label issues or something that, kind of caused this album to go through different iterations. Uh, I mean, I think she did have some more rockin' up-tempo songs like A Supernova or something. Uh, and I think those are on some of the demos, which I which I need to check out. I love checking out uh, demo versions of songs that are <laughs> that are overly produced. Even, you know, one of my favorite records, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I, I actually prefer some of the demos that they that, that are floating out there more than the uh the the final versions but yeah I'll, I'll definitely check that out but I, I i don't know i think um i think the track listing could have been reordered in a way that might make it a stronger tighter experience because uh i mean even even the last song it's it's kind of an afterthought it definitely it's like something i think that probably was in the girly sound sessions like her demo recordings from way back when uh i think you could have ended with with uh with shitloads of money <laughs> I think that's a really good song to end on. Yeah, what do you guys think about Girls Room? Uh, I I agree. We could have been cut. Yeah, I yeah. would I would have yeah. ended with shitloads of money. That would have been a fine closing track. I think here's where I stand. I like a lot of this record, but from Uncle Alvarez to Only Son to Go On Ahead, that's like ten minutes of slow songs. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if if you take to me, you take those three out, and then you get rid of Girls' Room. That's a 12-song record, and you've probably trimmed it down to 35 minutes. Or 38 minutes, or something like that. That's to me, is a much stronger record. And I'd probably shuffle some things around. I might move, like, Perfect World back and move What Makes You Happy up. Just load the front end with singles. After what, I like opening with White Chocolate Space Egg, but then like, and Big Tall Man I like. Yeah, me too. But like, then go to What Makes You Happy, Johnny Feel Good, Polyester Bride, just hit those singles one after another. And, uh, you know, load up the front end of this record. Because there's a lot of good stuff. I just feel like it's spread out and it's not apparent where you, if you're listening to this record, you're probably going to stop at some point, probably at that 8, 9, 10 section. And just take a breather yeah it it doesn't like i on the narrative songs there's parts of that that i like there's something about 
I don't know, maybe it, it's not consistent. Uh, I, I kind of wish the whole record was either like that or not. You know, when they she like goes into those deep kind of character songs, they're kind of sprinkled throughout the record, and I don't quite understand. Uh, it almost seems like that should be, if you're going to do that, like that should be the theme of the record. Like I'm going to tell a story about a place and people and like all the songs are going to work that way or you're not. <laughs> um, the fact that like every third song or every fourth song is like that. And then the variation on just the overall like presentation, you know, she goes off into, you know, some synth directions. She does some straight up alt rock stuff. She does, some acoustic stuff. Then she does some folky kind of almost Lisa Loby kind of adult contemporary sounding things. So just that, um, with the, I guess, inconsistency of the songwriting makes the record to me feel a little scattered. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I did find that confusing as far as her perspective as, as a songwriter and a singer, what perspective she was singing from. And yeah. I had to, I had to go do some, googling of like reviews and stuff from back at the time where they basically said you know for like johnny feelgood and uncle alvarez and some other songs it's it's a character song yeah whereas some of the other songs are supposed to be a bit more personal and that gets tricky when you're as a listener to know yeah which is which yeah that's what i think i'm you said it better than me I, i think i'm would want her to pick an idea there and like, okay, I'm going to do all songs from the point of view of a character. Um, or I'm going to, this is me and I'm not quite sure when I'm listening, what I'm, who's speaking, um, and where I'm at. Yeah. Cause yeah, I don't I feel like I have that same issue with Guyville. Yeah. I think that for the most part, Guyville is, you know, her perspective uh, and, and just like the, the the things that she's gone through with relationships and how, how people are perceiving her and at the time and things like that. But uh, like a song like Canary on that one, I mean, she's kind of inventing a character uh, about this, you know, self-destructive housewife who just can't stand being what she is and catering to her man and stuff like that. So she's had moments where she invents characters um, not necessarily explicitly giving them names per se, like she does on this record, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't mind the, the choices to change things up lyrically. It, it makes things a, a little more interesting throughout. Like you do have to maybe do some homework and some research to like figure out where she's coming from. Uh, but I never mind that experience. Um, and I just think I don't know what White Chocolate Space saying that the, the the title track is about per se. Well, but I still I like it. <laughs> I I guess White Chocolate Space Egg is supposed to be a reference to her baby's head. Ah, okay. Yeah. Really. But the, the lyrics are kind of weird. <laughs> but the, I mean, it fits the song. That's the thing. It's like it fits the right. kind of psychedelic. I don't weirdness. I don't know that she's drawing any direct correlation. Like that the, the lyrics are. I think she just thought that was a funny phrase and made it into a record and a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you guys this. You know, this came out in 98. She was uh, on the cover of Rolling Stone. And I mean, there was a expectation for an artist that was kind of 
at the zeitgeist of, of what was going on in, in the 90s. And it had been three years, I think, since, you know, it was 93 that was Guyville and then was Whipstart 94 or 95? I think it was 95. Because I know there was also an EP uh, in there. No, Whipstart was oh, 94 and the yeah. Juvenalia EP was 95. Right. So it was four years since her last record, which is a long time in the 90s. And I'm wondering if, you know, part of the... The, the supernova video is all over mtv and i don't know that how well it sold in comparison to this i'd have to you know do some quick research there but um i feel like that maybe led to the fact that this record didn't do as well and she decided to like make a, a extreme turn into you know in the next couple of years to embracing pop songwriting and feeling like that was her way to reach an audience is to make a, you know, very commercial record with, I guess, you know, professional songwriters and stuff. Well, when you're, think- when you're embraced by pop culture, it seems to be most either have that uh, reaction or they are Radiohead and they go the complete opposite direction. Like, mm-hmm. Very few are able to seem to be able to manage being just who they are. Yeah, I think she, I think at the time she, you know, she said that she kind of wanted to be um, Avril Lavigne to some degree. Like she heard Avril Lavigne and was like, oh, I'd love to make music like that. I'd love to make a song like Complicated. And clearly that's why she sought out the, the, the Matrix producer. I don't even know what his real name is. I just know that that pseudonym but um yeah I, th- I i know that she met cheryl crow and she sang back up back up on that uh soak up the sun song and once she moved out to california and started hanging out with cheryl crow I, I don't know i think something something changed something in her decided that she wanted to yeah make something even more polished and more produced and i i just felt it was interesting because like at that um, South by Southwest show that she played at Starbucks, she did play a couple of new songs. And at the time, I was like, okay, th- this, th- the lyrics are a little bit cheesier. You know, like talking about how I just want to hang out with this dude and play Xbox games all day. And, you know, I, I, I didn't connect with it the way I did with her earlier songs. Uh, but I thought, it, I thought they had potential. But then once I heard that, record that came out five years later i was like oh no (laughs) it just didn't do anything for me unfortunately and i respect her creative decision and i know she stands by it but it's just i just found it was really simplistic and cheesy uh the matrix is actually a trio lauren Ah. christie graham edwards and scott spock they were all singer songwriters in it and had different careers before forming The Matrix. Worked with such artists as Christina Aguilera, Hilary Duff, Avril Lavigne, Ashley Tisdale, Shakira, Britney Spears, Jason Mraz, Liz Fair, and here's the one you weren't expecting, Korn. Whoa. <laughs> they produced Korn's seventh album, See You on the Other Side, which sold two million copies worldwide. What what album? What's the name of that album that you guys are talking about? 
It's self-titled. Is Liz Fair's 2003 okay, okay. self-titled record? It had the single "Why Can't I" was the big uh, single. What is the what's the record from 2014 called Fun si- Style? Mm. Have you seen this? It looks really yeah, gross. It is. <laughs> it, it, it was. I don't know what she was thinking with that one too. It's more like an afterthought. Like she just put together these random songs. I think she even sa- samples like Bollywood music at one point. Oh, um, yeah. It's. It was a chore. I, I was really disappointed in that too. I mean, most recently, uh, I hate to say the name, but um, she was going to work on an album with Ryan Adams, and now that's not going to happen. So, uh, I I don't know. I know she's putting out uh, an autobiography, I think, this month. Yeah. So, I'm excited to read that, and I certainly will. But uh, I, I, I would love if she put out more music, eventually. <laughs> so, is it surprising that in 98 that this didn't do well i don't think it's surprising because i think that this period is it's not made for this record like it's it's not poppy enough and it's not edgy enough it's not it's just not quite there in terms of radio i'm not saying it's a bad record from that perspective but just like trying to get on yeah radio 98 knowing that alternative music started getting super polished and super poppy and started turning into a one-hit wonder factory and then yep. you have the rise of actual pop music in 97, 98, 99. I don't I don't see how this would have it doesn't have a a massive single waiting to yeah. be discovered. The I way mean, that, I mean it's yeah, it's I think it's a case of bad timing. Um I think a lot of people that do go back to this record though and they find a lot to like about it and mm-hmm. I, I do think Polyester Bride, I, I mean, certainly I heard it on Chicago radio, not to the same extent as Supernova, but still it was it was kind of embraced around these parts. I mean, I think, you know, because she comes from Chicago, a lot of people want to keep championing her around here. And anytime she does play, people do come out and sure. support her. So. All right. Let's talk about our overall ratings for this record were the album better ep decent single we did put this up for a vote at patreon the votes came in 88 percent with worthy album Yay. no votes for better ep but 13 percent went with decent single mm. hot take so jay where do you land were the album better ep or decent single better ep for me uh, white chocolate space egg big tall man polyester bride baby got going and what makes you happy is my ep i like the uh i think where the tempo is a little bit up and i guess when it's maybe a little more rock oriented those tend to be the songs i gravitated to hmm i am i think i'm at an album let's see because i would go i like one through one through seven i dumped Nine, eight, nine, and ten. I think I would dump eleven too. I'd keep ride. What makes you happy? And shitloads of money. So I think I have a ten-song album of of like stuff that I I actually enjoy. And then I would dump six songs from the record. So I'm probably at a pretty short. I think that's probably around thirty minutes. But that's a good record. Ten songs, thirty, thirty some, thirty, you know, thirty-three minutes or something like that. So you're at a seventies album. I'm at a seventies album. Ten songs okay. is a is a is a nineties album. You get into double digits, you're an album. 
no matter what, no matter what decade. That's just the way it goes. This isn't this isn't rush. I'm not doing two songs per side here. This isn't Cygnus <laughs> X1 for God's sake, Jim? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, but I probably know the answer. Where the album oh, better EP? Geez. Yeah, where the album? I I really do love it, and you know I mentioned you can get rid of only son and girls room and make it even better. But at the same time, like I, I, I still go back to this one and find a lot to love. And I, it's Liz fair. I think that she's a really inventive and interesting songwriter that those first three albums are, are all home runs for me for the most part. I mean, some people can make that argument of like, well, you can, you know, uh, it's too long and, Maybe it's too inconsistent and all over the map, but I think that's what makes it really appealing. I, I this was around the time where, yeah, I mentioned melancholy. <laughs> like if albums were really long, and you know for some overstayed their welcome or went all over the place, that didn't bother me so much. I, the more the merrier when you're a fan. So um, I'm actually excited to go check out some of the some of the demos. I know there's some really good stuff out there from from the, from these sessions. So. Uh, yeah, no, worthy album all the way. Let me ask you a quick question. How do you rank those three? Um, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, Exile is always going to be my number one, but uh, Whip Smart and White Chocolate, uh, yeah, I like them pretty much equally, but I think I'm going to just go Exile, Whip Smart, and White Chocolate. Okay. Okay. I do like I do like Whip Smart quite a bit when I go and I go back to that one too, and it's again it's got, man that Supernova is just a killer song. Yes, such a killer song. So you're on a lifeboat and you have two life jackets. No, just kidding. We'll we'll skip that part. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that is Excellent. our episode on White Chocolate Space Egg by Liz Fair. Thanks for bringing this to us, Jim. Eventually, we had to get to at least one Liz Fair record. I'm glad we got to choose the oddball one that's not as well-known as as the debut or the sophomore record. So thank you for letting us revisit this. I had I don't think I'd listened to it since I bought the record back in 98 at my local Best Buy. So I appreciate <laughs> that happening because it was uh, yeah, a lot like- of stuff I've totally forgot about. Yeah, and it feels good because, like I said, I'm representing Chicago, too. Uh, I, there's only so much I can talk about Wilco because <laughs> I've talked sure. about it on other podcasts. And I'm like, I can definitely talk about that band until the cows come home, no no problem. But I, I really wanted to give a special shout-out to to Liz Fair, especially when, you know, I but she was a, she's such a monumental uh, person to me in my life for – a lot of reasons and, and like I highly recommend checking out that 33 and a third exile and guyville uh book it's one of the best in my opinion oh cool yeah well I know right now uh somewhere in Chicago Tank Boy is screaming at us that he was not on this episode but uh we'll have him on when we do the the second triple fast action uh record Ooh. whenever whenever somebody su- suggests that uh, or perhaps when we get to a fig dish record or uh, <laughs> some other uh, Chicago band that we haven't given uh, a due to yet. Uh, we've covered a lot. I think after Australia, Chicago is probably the city that we've covered the most on this yeah, podcast. Makes sense. Not that Australia is well, a city. It's, I mean, it's obviously 
much larger, <laughs> but in terms of uh, one particular area, Jay, can you can you um, can you do a, a search on that real quick and tell us the cities that have the most reviews? Thank you. <laughs> we don't track that. We need to start doing that. Oh, for God's there's so much about our episodes we could be tracking that we're not. Yeah, I need that stuff at like my fingertips. I need I need to I just know. know information. Would that be good to know? How many how many Brendan O'Brien produced records have we reviewed? How many how many times has Oh, I can tell you that. Tom you Lord Algae mixed the record for that we've uh, reviewed. How many times uh Yeah, that kind of stuff. We track producers. Uh the most the most reviewed is Steve Albini and Bob Rock. Oh, uh, really? By us. Well, this doesn't take into account this year. Okay, gotcha. This is uh, as of like earlier this year, probably around wow, January. Wow, Bob Rock's up there? We haven't even gotten a Motley Crue yet. Yeah, we did. Uh, oh, that's right, we did. Veruca Salt, David Lee Roth. And we did the second. Uh, we did the self-titled Motley Crue. Motley Crue. Yeah, forgot Skid about Row that. and the Cult. That's right. He was so Skid busy. Row. Who you thought is Brendan O'Brien? I don't know that we've done a Brendan O'Brien album. Interesting. Huh. That is interesting. That seems like an oversight. I do not see one. We're going to have to do an all Brendan O'Brien poll. Make sure that all the all the records have been mixed or or engineered or produced by Brendan O'Brien, so we can get him into the into the uh, archive. You got to do some flood produced albums too. Yeah, there I wonder you what go. happened to him? Uh, I don't know. He's still around. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I'm sure he made a few bucks on the records he produced and. They seem to do well. Jim, thank you for coming back and doing this with us. It Anytime. Was, it was a hoot. Thanks so much. Want to remind everyone, place to go so you can make a pick in the future. That's the DMOUnion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I am Tim, and we are out. We'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com and